Hello and welcome to Sons of Thunder, the podcast where a priest, a married man and a single walked into a bar and all claimed to be broke. No joke. <laughs> Between 2006 and 2008, I nearly lost my life 11 times whilst walking 15,500 kilometres from Brazil to Spain. I was praying for the complete unity of Christians in truth and in love. Now, over the course of this journey, in nearly losing my life so many times, there were many occasions where I wanted to come home. I was over it. In fact, the first time I nearly quit was the snakes. I was being struck at nearly every day. I don't, I don't mind snakes. I don't like being struck at every single day. And I remember standing on the edge of a road in Brazil going, stuff this. I do not want to be struck at by another snake. My life's in danger. The second time was because of the racism. Were they, were they striking at your heels? That was striking at my heels, at my calves. There was a snake in Brazil that was on a... I'm walking through jungle, but I'm walking on the side of the road, so right up against the, the jungle. And I stopped realising that only a foot in front of my face is the head of a snake. It's curled up in the branches mm. of a bush in the undergrowth of the jungle. It was just curled through the leaves, and its head was right there, and it's just slowly turning towards me. It was and waiting I, for its lunch to be delivered. It was, it was drive-by. Or walk by. Um, I just didn't like it. So that was the first thing. That's understandable. The second thing was the racism. Um, it was not something I'd grown up with. And I always thought racism was about calling people names. But all of a sudden, I'm being held at gunpoint on three occasions for racial motivation, being shooed out of towns, people trying to stone me. They called me, Does, do you blokes know what they call a white person? Gringo? gringo? Yep, gringo. So they're yelling out, gringo, gringo. Oh, it's not just a reference to you can't dance. What's that? I've, that that's lost on me. Gringo hips. No. Where, you know, the... Have you heard that? No. No. You're on your own, mate. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> I've got gringo. Right. I think we all do, actually, in this room. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely can't dance. <laughs> if one woman walked up to me in South America on the street and said one word, gringo, and turned and walked away. That was it. That was our conversation. So the racism nearly sent me home. That culminated in Venezuela when a car travelling, a four-wheel drive, travelling towards me at 100 k's an hour, maybe a little bit over, as it approaches me, a young kid winds the window down and emerges out the, the passenger window. And as they come past me, he hurls a water bomb at me. Now, you might think, so what? It's a water bomb. But the car's travelling at 100 plus kilometres an hour, he's thrown it, let's say 50 or 60 k's an hour, and he hit me fair on the abdomen. 150 k's an hour. When I lifted my shirt up, five seconds later, I had a welt the size of a dinner plate, multiple colours like an archery target. It was like playing squash with you. Yes. <laughs> so the background Sorry. Is... Yeah. Okay, so everybody used to play this. squash at, at university. And, uh, and I used to call let, as, as the rules of squash dictate, if, if your opponent's in but the way. so unnatural. Sam, Sam would call look out and belt it anyway. <laughs> it's a more natural thing to do. I learned to call let, but look out was just very... Look, it's a tense moment. Yep. And yes, Venezuela was like playing squash against me. I got welted. And I chucked my, I actually took my, my super, my, my, what do you call it? That thing, the backpack, took it off, hurled it into a fence on the side of the road and just sat down and thought, stuff it, stuff them. I'm not inviting these guys to pray for unity. I'm going home. 
I'm done with it. But we're still another 30, 35 k's to the next town. Uh, by the time I arrived there, I was even angrier because at night time, a car traveling from behind, they threw a full beer can at me at speed. It landed right between my legs mid-stride and exploded when it hit the ground and went off another 20, 30 meters. The actual spray of the beer as it exploded 20, 30 meters in front of me. What is the offense of the projectile? That is such a waste of beer. Well, that's what I thought. You really got to hate people to throw a full beer can at someone. I actually ran. I, I chased after the vehicle before eventually realizing that I'm not going to catch it. Imagine how bad it would be if you were a ragger. <laughs> By the time I arrived in the town, I was just over it. I was ready to go home and walked into the town and the first person I met was an Anglican priest, a local bloke who took me in. I had a few cuts and bruises on me in this massive welt and he went and got some first aid stuff. He showed me through to a bathroom area, but have a hot shower and he went and got some nice food for me, some hot dinner, sat me down, we had a chat and he put it all in perspective and, and actually said, this is, this is part of the journey. This is what you're here to do. And if you go home now, you've gone home because of disunity. That's why you're here. But the third time I wanted to go home after the racism was the poverty. Just meeting people where I felt helpless. I felt like, what's the point praying for unity when there's people like this in the world? But was then faced with, well, what I'm looking at here is disunity at its ugliest. There is the opportunity to help these people. It's, it just felt so overwhelming. I, I can't do anything. But I think, I think a big part of that is Jesus asks you to walk around the world in your case, community, but he only asks you to deal with what he puts in front of you. You know, he didn't actually ask you to solve all the poverty. And part of that, you know, those peripheral things, part of it's just being able to focus on what, what you're being asked to do in that situation and giving to the Lord what he's asking you, regardless of whatever else is going on around. The beautiful thing for it, though, was that in Guatemala, which is only a few countries after this really started to boil up, was a realisation of, okay, I am walking on, but when I get home, the mission doesn't finish. In fact, this is, this is almost pre-season training. The walk oh, around the world. was the preamble, mm. literally. It's the start of the mission. The mission doesn't finish in Spain. And I was very conscious of that even at that moment in Spain when I finally arrived at, at Cape Finisterre at, at the end. At the starting line. At the finish, I was at the start line again, yeah. And then going home knowing, okay, now put this into practice. Now we go from here. But this is a difficult thing was that it's, it's one, probably one of the first questions that's asked of me, of students and staff members or when doing a speaking engagement is, why didn't you give up? It's a, it's a very instinctive thing, and I remember, look, I quit. I don't know if I ever told you this, Marty. I quit engineering. I, I Yeah, I left engineering. How come? It was in the break. And my dad convinced me to reapply, which I didn't. I was fine, just continue on. But I quit. It was difficult. I wasn't good at it. I wasn't as good as you were. You are the reason why I have my engineering degree, and John. You and John. <laughs> Not, not plagiarism. Not, not, not plagiarism. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because it, I was too prideful to ask the questions at university. You weren't. You were the guy. Marty was the guy at university who always put his hand up 
and asked the questions that everyone else was too embarrassed to ask. So I've got even better at that these days. You go, look, I'm like maybe a little bit slow. I don't really understand what you guys are saying. Could you just explain in a way that I might be able to understand? And everyone else goes, yeah, we didn't really understand either. <laughs> was that you studying theology? Yeah, I, I, I never ask questions. <laughs> so I, I do feel that, Father Dave, you and I are a little similar. Personality-wise. Personality-wise. Yeah. Yeah. Marty and I are just similar mannerisms, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> that might be about it. So anyway, yeah, I, I had quit engineering. So when was that? So Between what? What years? Oh, I don't know. Maybe, you know what? Maybe it was, was it just before 30? It, maybe it was just before we met. And that's why we yeah. hadn't discussed it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. This is really quite a bombshell for me. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. take some time to have to process this. Uh, I also quit AFL footy uh, under 18s to focus on my studies in year 12. I was, so I had played uh, one AFL reserves game for Footscray, now Western Bulldogs, while I was in year 12 in Tassie. I was playing for the Tassie Mariners. I always looked up to you, and now I just find out that you, you quit everything you started. No, 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 but I changed this. <laughs> so, yeah, then the, the walk around the world came about, and, and it was just so much harder. I thought, I thought this journey was going to be like Forrest Gump. He starts running across the United States, and people start joining him, and I distinctly remember when I was living in Melbourne before the walk, they'll have to shut roads. So many people are going to join me on this journey. Wow. They'll have to shut roads down. And the reality was the vast majority of people who joined me, not everyone, the majority, were carrying guns and knives or rocks and chased me down the road trying to kill me. And all the roads were left open. Wide open. <laughs> you did at one point get a freeway which was going to open like two days later, didn't you? I did, yes. That was in Venezuela, which was one of, that was the most dangerous country I walked through. They were averaging 54 murders a day. And there was a brand new freeway that was opening in two days' time. And I had it for uh, three or four days worth of walking. A road with no one on it. <laughs> Is that a song? Do you just make that up? It's a <laughs> you too, something. Oh, really? I sang, I'll be honest. I sang Where the Streets, Where the Streets Have No Name. You. Where the Streets Have No Name. I sang a lot. Right. <laughs> It was, it was really difficult, though, thinking that because I'm doing something here for God, I'm doing something here that's good, I'm sacrificing for God. And I'd been told this because you're well before I did the walk around the world. If you're doing something for God, God will bless you. You're sacrificing, you're giving up, God will bless you. And all of a sudden, all this bad stuff started happening. And my initial reaction was, where are you? Where are you, God? Why is this bad stuff happening? This was not what I signed up for. And there was a sense of, what am I doing wrong? Why am I being crucified? <laughs> What's going on here? I think so much of this is about getting the right expectation. Like I, that, that, that old movie, The Princess Bride, is a classic <laughs> Gold. Here there are go, two kinds go. of people in the world. <laughs> there are people who have seen The Princess Bride and love The Princess Bride. And then there's everyone else who don't understand and think it's a kid's movie so they never watch it. There's a, cl there's a classic line in this where he basically says, look, life is pain. Anyone who tells you otherwise is trying to sell you something. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 there's a lot of, classic line, lot of classic lines in that movie. But I, I just think that's Marty's wife, up. Marty's wife, her wedding gown yeah. 
was based on, on Princess Buttercup, Buttercup. Yeah. <laughs> on her gown. There yeah. you go. But but this idea, like life, actually is pain. You know, we're we're being sold this idea that it should be roses and butterflies, but it's not. In this valley of tears. Yeah. Well, I now know from Ecclesiasticus, if you wish to follow the Lord, my son, prepare yourself for an ordeal. Hmm. Amen. Or, from the Gospels, pick up your cross and follow me. Yeah. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Problem of Pain, trying to understand this whole idea of, like, like how could a good God let us suffer so much? But, like, his opening chapter, he basically says the problem actually is that we think that pain is a problem. Like, mm. pain mm. maybe actually is good. I mean, you're, you're talking about... In that same book, he, he, the bit I remember of that was... Um, this is why I rely on YouTube blokes, because you've both read this book and I haven't. That's why I go to you for advice. Let's go. I just remember his line saying, if, uh, you know, just try and trace through that line of thinking. If, uh, you know, if an all-loving God allows pain, then pain must not be bad. Mm. Because it doesn't... You know, it doesn't follow. It must be going somewhere. It must have. A, it must have a purpose. And I think this is the the big clash because it, I, I think our world has decided that the meaning of life is to be happy. Mm. That's pretty much it. Whereas, when you come, yeah, <laughs> the Christian perspective is that you know you are becoming something. Like like we often say, you're not you're not a human being. You're a human becoming. Um, like like you are reaching your potential, and that's hard work. You know, mm. it, it, like, and this is what fascinates me that, that people will intentionally put themselves through suffering for the sake of losing weight or, you know, getting fit. And, and they'll pay someone to swear at them at five o'clock in the morning at a boot camp. <laughs> but as soon as they're not paying for the privilege, they whinge and complain. But maybe, maybe life is actually training us for something. I, I had an experience when I was first ordained. Well, one of the, the big things is that when guys are going through the seminary, they think they understand what the priesthood is. And then about two days after they get ordained, they think, I had no idea. Like, really? <laughs> you have no idea what a priest does and what the, the yeah. sort of stuff he's got to deal with and listen to. And so my, my early years as a priest, like that, that, it was hard work. So many times I was pushed to my absolute limit. And I feel like I just got to kind of get through this, you know, unbelievable ordeal. And I'd look up to God in prayer and just say, what was that about? And I'd feel like God was saying back, saying, that was round one of the training. Mm. I'm like, hang on, training? <laughs> what do you mean round one? How many rounds are there here? <laughs> and over the next, say, five or six years, it just felt like every year, at the right time, God would throw something in. I'd have this sort of period where everything was nice and, and easy and I'd love life. And then this tsunami would just hit. And... I started to realize this was actually training me for something. But once I got the expectation right that actually God is like the coach in a boot camp, he's got an idea of what the end goal actually is. Like, like he, he made me. He knows what I'm actually able to do. He's now just trying to draw that out of me. You know? and so a dude I was talking to a little while back had this perspective, which I thought was really interesting, that comfort isn't an end or a goal. But comfort and discomfort, you treat them more as feed, states of feedback, but it's not an end in itself. Mm. Well, it's a little bit like if we might complain to God that it hurts when I touch something that's boiling hot and I want to be able to touch it without it getting hot, without burning myself. And to an extent, the pain that we experience. Wouldn't an all loving God allow you to touch boiling <laughs> hot stuff without it hurting? <laughs> but, but the pain, the pain from what others have done. 
this sense of, but th there is a sense of injustice, but that in of itself is good because we are not made for what this world offers. Mm. We're made for something greater, something far more beautiful. And that pain does take our direction back to something better, something more beautiful. Pain's a, a warning signal. Obviously, you, you see it physically. I mean, you were complaining before about your various injuries. Uh -huh. Pain is there saying, stop doing stupid stuff. Okay. So, yeah. and other people would pick up on that quicker than Sam does and stop doing stupid stuff. No, right? what, 47 bones, was it? No, no, no. Until he's 15, broken 16. every bone, he's not going to do anything differently. But the same thing goes with emotional pain. And I think this is the thing that people don't pick up on, is that, you know, you're depressed. That's actually your body saying, hang on, something's not right here. Something's out of balance. Maybe your relationships, maybe just your way of life. Maybe you're not praying or maybe you're just not praying properly, like your prayer's driven by an anxiety, trying to prove yourself to God. Or that the support that should be around us isn't there. Yeah. That support that... Or you talking yeah, about one of the previous that... episodes, you are talking about the church being family. Mm. And if we have a, a really broken sense of family, there's no sense of security, then that's going to play on our both physical, mental health. And... Yeah, I think it's so clear. Why would you do anything differently unless... You know, if things if everything's good... Why would you do something differently? So if there's if if there was no pain, there's no growth. Mm. Why? Until you get to a point where you go, this sucks. It needs to be different. It needs to be better. I'm prepared to do something for a better future. Why would you change? And, and I think this is where you got to distinguish between good pain and bad pain. You know, so so like we're saying, there, there is there is a bad pain, which is your body warning you, saying, "Hang on, something's wrong. Something's out of balance here." But then there's a good pain, which is actually you're, you're actually kind of growing through this. You know, and, and often I, when I'm talking with married couples who are having trouble with their marriages, I often try and get them to discern that distinction. You know, because sometimes they're having a hard time, and it's because actually they've got to change something. But other times they're having a hard time, and it means they've actually got to persevere through it. You know, that it's actually a good pain because they're learning how to love. You know, they're learning how to mm. die to their own selfishness. Yeah, we're doing that a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta, Mother Teresa, when she went to New York City, she was asked by the American media, what do you think of New York? What do you think of America? And her response was, I've never seen so much poverty in all my life. And she was from the slums in Calcutta. And she said, I've never seen so much loneliness in all my life. So people who, from the outside, might look like they live relatively pain-free lives. They have, they got money, they got wealth, they, they have the, the car, the Manhattan apartment, etc. but they're just lonely. They just, and often it wasn't they were coming to Mother, Mother Teresa broken. It's just she couldn't get over the fact that they just wanted her attention. They just wanted something some to talk to. Mm. And they, it was almost as though they weren't aware that they were so lonely, that mm. they didn't have these people in their life. So Mother Trees was also um, walking through an airport scanner and asked, you know, does anyone have any weapons? And she said, I do, and held up her rosary beads. <laughs> back, to, back to what you were saying. Was this before they took all those things seriously? <laughs> <laughs> but I think it, it raises the key thing. Like in terms of how do you overcome adversity, you've got to know that you're actually loved. Like, mm. well, I, I think we, yes. we, live, we live in a society which is just like, okay, just grit your teeth and knuckle down and just plough through it. Um, Stoicism. Yeah. But you, you actually need to know that you're actually loved and you, you've got someone who's got your back. That's really where prayer comes in. That if, 
like we're saying in the, in the last episode. Like, like and let's look. I'll, I'll just make a comment there. Let's just face facts. Prayer isn't about you making God better. Yeah. Prayer is about God making you better. Yeah. And, 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 and like we're saying, like prayer is not about asking God for stuff. It's about an actual relationship where you know God's with you. I remember I, I had an experience years ago. There's a, a little hut up in the mountains outside Canberra, which I used to love going to. You've got huts all around the country, don't you? Oh, yeah. I, 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 I sort of discover all the places. <laughs> he started, the he's got a half-built one sitting on my property. When are you finishing this, that? This is actually one that oh, it's in the National Park. This is what someone else built. Somebody else built this one back in like the late 1800s. Beautiful little spot, old, old Fields Hut. I used to go up there all the time in winter by myself when it's snowing because obviously that's a safe thing to do. But this one time, it's like a 30k walk back to where I was going to get picked up. And I was crook as anything. Like I, I think I had some dodgy water and I was sick and it's snowing heavily. And there's at the top of this, this the, I think it's called Murray Gap. There's like this gap between the mountains and it's really open and exposed and there's creeks everywhere which are covered by snow. And I'm sitting on the edge of the forest about to enter this area. I'm just like, I just feel horrendous. Like I just want to curl up and die. I feel so sick. And I know that if I take one wrong step in the snow, I'm going to twist my ankle and then I will be dead. But it was this, this sense of like, I just can't do this. I, I, I cannot... Sam would have. He would have, he would have <laughs> twisted his ankle. Yeah. <laughs> like, there you go, bone number 48. At least one. <laughs> but I, would, it was I this, would have filmed it, though. <laughs> it was this overwhelming sense of God just saying, I'm with you. you know. And, and But it was, it was very much, the, the words were like, you know, I'm your father. This is my backyard. Just enjoy it. you know. And it was just like, mm. you know, I'm watching over you. Nothing's going to happen. But it was it was like just that knowledge that you're not alone gave me the strength to get through that. Mm. And and it, to the point where I actually started enjoying it. You know, as as I got through, the snow cleared up, the sun came out. It was glorious. But it wasn't my own strength. It wasn't my own you know resilience getting me through. It was just knowing that you got someone protecting you. It makes a massive difference with their with their choices, knowing that we are loved. Uh, there was, I I had said to you guys that I wanted to bring up in this episode. The pig. I don't know. Have you ever heard the story of the pig? I think yeah, I think so. Marty, you look. Yeah, no. yeah. Oh, you know the pig yeah, story? Yeah, no, I read your book. Oh, you've read I it? Read, I read Oh, good. Was, you did read all. it. Yeah, I got all the way to the end. Did you? Yes. Oh, you did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> but I can't, I can't remember the details right, okay. of the pig story. So, so you better tell it. I'll enlighten you. <laughs> Southern Mexico, raining. Want to have a morning tea? There's a little collapsed bus stop in the middle of nowhere. There's jungle when on the When you sides. say morning tea, you're not talking like, you know, Second, a shop with a Devonshire tea kind of, No, morning, I'm know. on a farm, morning tea. You stop and have a biscuit. Right, out of your backpack. Yeah. Okay, just checking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no in the middle of nowhere. No doilies. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I got in under this... Morning col- tea? Col- <laughs> got in a, shut up. I got in under this collapsed bus stop and had my morning tea. And while I'm sitting there in the middle of nowhere, I heard these footsteps coming from behind the collapsed bus stop. And I was on edge all of a sudden. I thought someone's sneaking up on me. But around the corner came this massive pig. And it approached me, then smelt the food in my backpack and proceeded to try and eat through the backpack. So I tried to push the pig out of the way, but animals in that part of the world are abused horribly. So as soon as my hand went near it, it reacted with aggression. It's after me. It was an angry pig. It was trying to bite me, taking snaps at me, grunting at me. It managed to pin me against the back wall of the bus shelter. It then turned back around and started trying, pig. start trying to eat through the backpack again. And in the end, I figured, I've only got two options here. And the first thing that popped into my mind was... Feed the angry pig! No, the first thing was punch it. 
punch the pig. And I thought, I don't want to punch the pig. That feels wrong to punch the pig in this moment. And I thought, surely there's a St. Francis of Assisi version here. Surely I can calm the pig down. Brother pig. Calm the pig down. Just find, see the beauty in the pig. Don't worry about how much it's... The fact that it's trying to eat, eat your backpack, backpack and, yeah. and get the food as well. So I grabbed a biscuit and I thought, I'm the cow whisperer on our farm. I thought maybe I can be a pig whisperer too. So I grabbed a biscuit, waved it above its head. Initially, it wanted to bite me. Then it realized I had food. I flicked the biscuit on the other side of it. So it had to turn its head away from me. And as it did, I quickly leant in and scratched it behind the ear. And at Ooh. that point, well, I didn't know. See, I thought dogs like a scratch behind the ear. Yeah. I thought well, pigs might too. I didn't know. And did it? Pigs have a sensitive spot just in behind their ear. Ooh. And I hit it. And not in a good way? It gave an involuntary convulsion and collapsed on the ground <laughs> at my feet. Just went flop at you the ground. You are the pig whisperer. I am the pig whisperer. <laughs> and at that point, I, thought, I felt sorry for it. I thought I was enjoying this. Did so, I actually get the biscuit? Uh, yeah, it did. It was eating. It took the biscuit out of my hand and was eating that. And that, at that point, I scratched it behind the ear. So he got the biscuit and then just flump, collapsed on the ground. And I thought he was enjoying this. I kept scratching behind the ear, middle of nowhere. So I figured it doesn't really matter. So start, no one's here to, I don't care what the locals No think. one's here to ridicule you. So yeah. I started massaging the pig while I'm talking to him gently. The Rub pig, its tummy. The pig <laughs> began to grunt and groan, stretch itself out, fell asleep. And yes, I've got video footage of that too. And I picked my backpack up and walked on, leaving the pig fast asleep in the bus shelter. But here's the deal. Had I given him a biscuit or a punch to the head, I end up with the same end result. I get my backpack back. But for the pig, it became a really different journey. In one, he receives a headache. In the other, he receives food. And this actually became a big part of the journey was if I'm able to bring love into the decision, there's an actual outcome that I'm looking for but the end doesn't justify the means. So am I able to get that end result by bringing love into it, particularly in adversity when difficult things happen? So you learn to love the angry pigs. Yes, and I met a lot of angry pigs from there on in. Yeah, Most of them weren't yes. pigs. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm assuming you didn't scratch most of them behind the ear. <laughs> oh, the Russian guys. Quick scratch behind the ear. Rub my tummy. <laughs> so... How do you get to that point, Father Dave, of actually knowing that you're loved? Because it's one thing to know that as head knowledge and to be able to sprout that out in a test and say, yeah, I'm loved by God. God loves me. How do you get to the point of actually genuinely believing it? I reckon the big thing is actually look back at what's already happened. You know, so try, try, to, try to see it in the moment is a little bit difficult. Yes, calibrating against your own experiences. That's probably an engineer's way of explaining well, theology, but, yes. But it's absolutely right. Because if you actually spend enough time reflecting and go and add up what has happened to you, you'd be like me and everyone else and go, actually, gee, actually, the Lord really looked after me then. But I've forgotten all about actually, it this was... because I'm not, I'm not in that moment complaining about it anymore. When I got back from the walk around the world, I didn't want to talk to anyone about it. It was too difficult. I had post-traumatic stress disorder. I woke up every single night for six months having to change the sheets in my bed because I sweated through violent nightmares. It was really sort of difficult. glad it was sweating. It was sweating, yeah. And then, <laughs> should I have said that first? I sweated so much through violent nightmares, had to change the sheets in my bed every night. How's that? that better? Yeah, that, yep, that flowed Got down. it. <laughs> it was actually in writing the book that I was forced to look at the journey 
And I found myself laughing more than I did cringing because mm. there was so much amazing stuff. And sometimes just shaking my head thinking, yeah, that's right, that happened. And, and certain things that happened one after the other going, my goodness, I didn't even see that, that this happened, which resulted in that and then that. I was so sidetracked and sideswiped by all this bad stuff happening along the way that it, I had to sit down and reflect on it. This was amazing, this mm. journey. And at that point, I felt comfortable actually talking to people about it. I always look at this situation. Like most teenagers walk through, walk through life pretty depressed, thinking, oh, my parents hate me. They never do anything for me. And it's only when they eventually grow up and have kids themselves and there's this sudden revelation moment where they realise what their parents actually did for them. Mum and Dad weren't all bad. Well, they, they suddenly realise like they actually sacrificed an enormous amount to bring me into the world and care for me. I have apologised to my parents. Now that I have teenagers, I've apologised to my parents for being one. <laughs> yes. But, but there's that moment where you suddenly see it from a different perspective. And I think it's the same thing with God. Like most people walk through life thinking that God's abandoned them. God never answers my prayers. Where is he? But if you actually try and sit back and look through and think, well, you know what? God has been there so many times. Like there have been encounters and miracles and... That's, that's where you can start to realise, well, if God was actually there at the time, even though I didn't feel it or recognise it, and maybe he's actually here right now as well, even though I don't feel it or recognise it. So, so looking back at the past from, from a different perspective can help you to see the, the present in that same perspective. Mm. And you have to throw into that actually developing a prayer life, which you spoke about in the, in the previous episode, mm. and knowing how much God loves us. Yeah. Which actually I did speak about in the last episode. Uh, the Russian fight and running away from that and, and actually learning from that fight because I was praying during the fight, getting a better perspective of how much God, God loves us because Jesus didn't fight back mm. when he was persecuted. So he must have loved us this much mm. to persevere towards the cross and not giving up. Yeah, because when, when we're in pain, all we can see is ourselves. Like, like pain causes yeah. us to just look inwards. Whereas yeah. if you can learn to sort of sit back and realise, hang on, I'm not actually alone here. There's a whole bunch of other people who understand what I'm going through, who are carrying me through it. That gives you the strength to to keep going through the adversity. Because there's lots of different advice that we receive from people regarding adversity and resilience and mm. what we should be doing. And um, you know, obviously over the, the course of the walk, Father Dave, you were giving me really sound advice, both at a practical level and at a, at a spiritual level. Marty, your advice was more antagonistic, I should say. Over yep. the course of the journey. Yep. That's where uh, it was aimed. You, know. yep. you, should play, you should play to your strengths. So that's and, what I was <laughs> and then there was another mate who uh, we probably could have had here and as well as a son of thunder being Dave, who you both know quite Puma well. Puma Dave. Puma Dave, who after coming face to face with the Puma sent me a, a heap of information regarding that. And one of them I actually have in front of me here. One of the pieces of advice he gave me was that uh, you should not ever run away from a puma. This may trigger an attack response. However, Dave then put in his own advice, which was, you are pretty fast, and outrunning a puma would look great on your blog, and it would always look good on, on an epitaph. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes the advice you receive from others isn't necessarily <laughs> the best for the moment. Uh, so probably pretty good too to have a few different people to bounce ideas off. Um, I've found it very helpful over the years to have a few different people I can trust to, to call and have a chat to and maybe pose the same question and mm. get some, some feedback on that. And 
And, and, and just to know that God's with you. Like I always go back to in uh, prophet Isaiah chapter 43. It, it's very much God saying, look, in the midst of adversity, I'm going to be with you. You know, where he says, you know, even though you walk through the waters of the flood, they will not overwhelm you. The fire won't consume you because I love you and I'm going to look after you. I'm your father. You know, just to have a scripture like that where you can just come back to every day and just realize I'm not alone. Mm. As St. John Paul II said, adversity allows our love to become beautiful mm. through adversity. I often think without adversity, we don't actually need, we can't learn genuine love. Love becomes very selfish without adversity and bad things and pain. Yeah, It's that that makes love real yeah. and sacrificial for one another. We don't need hope. And we're better people with hope. We don't need courage without bad stuff. We're better people with courage. Mm. So I've got something to contribute. Back into Daniel, where I can't remember. I can't remember. The, I'll I'll just tell what I think happened. You correct me if like I get that wrong. So this, back, is, so this is the prophet Daniel. This is the prophet Old Daniel, Old Testament prophet Daniel is praying for the the Jews in captive, and and an angel appears to him after he's been praying for months for the for the same thing, and the angel says. I, you know, I, as soon as you started praying, I, I, I set out to meet your prayer. Mm. And, and it's just taken that long to for it to come about, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. You know, as soon as you started praying, the Lord started answering. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard so many stories like that. Like I remember hearing a story of a, a young woman who'd struggled with an eating disorder for years and she was praying for God to help her and strengthen her and and she was just losing hope because she was like, this isn't working. Like, I'm, I'm getting worse. And she actually, she talks about how she was praying one day and she just had this image come to her mind of her standing with these, like, massive muscles. And she's like, what's with this? And it was like God saying, you know, yeah, like, like you haven't been able to move this rock out of your life, but look how strong you are now. And from that moment, it was just like, bam. Like, it was no longer part of her life. You know, she was over it. But... But once again, being able to realize that God was actually there answering that prayer, but in, in a, a way she didn't necessarily expect, mm. you know, like he was, he knew what her limits were, you know, and he was just like saying, you're going to get stronger through this. You're going to get stronger. In a way we don't expect. And I've got to say, Jesus dying on the cross doesn't look like victory to the Romans or the Jews or those around the, the bottom of the cross, anyone looking at it. Yet that's where the victory is. Mm. So perseverance, you know, just holding into it. Like I, I remember Pope John Paul II talking about the virtue of holy stubbornness. Joy is loved. It's like, this is where I'm going. Holy stubbornness. That's the, fortitude. Yeah. I always thought that because I used to get, I used to, I get called stubborn. <laughs> um, but I've noticed like if you're wrong, you get called stubborn. But if it turns out you're right, you get called much nicer things like <laughs> fortitude, <laughs> fortitude. Or, yes. or an engineer. Perseverance. <laughs> but but it's, it's it's having that determination to say, look, I'm going to trust God, even though it looks like nothing's happening. Mm. You know, I'm just going to keep going through life, no matter what comes against me, and trusting that one day it's going to make sense. So that that's the sort of stubbornness you need. Joshua, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Mm. Amen. Amen. Father Dave, would you like to close us in prayer for today? So Lord, we pray that you would help us to have the eyes to see where you're present in our life, particularly in the midst of adversity and suffering. Help us to see that we're not alone and that you are 
you see us differently to the way we see ourselves, that you actually see our true potential and you're training us through all the hardships to reach there. So Lord, we just pray you bless us here during this podcast and anyone else who's listening, pray your blessing, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.